Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Today, I am so excited to have Daryllise Lyons on our show. She is somebody who I have recently got to know and absolutely adore. She is a journalist, an actor, and an activist. She has written more than two dozen full-length books and a handful of short stories. She is also the host of the podcast Demystifying Diversity and just a absolutely incredible human being. Welcome to the show, Darylise. Welcome to the Mixed Movement, where we speak candidly about the uncommon commonalities that people of mixed race face in our world today. Here, we listen, share, learn, and acknowledge that through our stories, we are all connected. We are your hosts, Nate, Chris, and Rachel Go. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, Darylise. We are so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me, Rachel. It's really great to join you and your listeners. Yes. So I want to dive right in. Can you tell me a little bit about your history, where you grew up and your family dynamics a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, specifically, I think for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to focus on my history from the perspective of race and culture. Um, Yes. (laughs) So I was born in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And then when I was, I don't know, somewhere between three and six months old, I moved to Greenwich, Connecticut and lived with my mom and her family members. And I would say I grew up in a very very white town. My mom is white. My dad is black. And uh, the town was predominantly white. Not a ton of diversity, but I'm very, very grateful that um, there was always a realization in my family of the importance for me to see myself represented and to see um, multiple sides of my cultural heritage represented. And so one of the most pivotal things I think in my childhood was that my mom joined an organization called Black Books Galore, which is no longer in existence, but where, you know, I had the opportunity to go and read books written by Black and Brown authors and um, illustrators. And then also she joined an interracial parents and children's group early on in my life. And so I think, really? yeah, so both of those when, really helped shape me. Yeah, That's amazing. I don't think that I've heard of a program that existed that long ago for interracial support. That's right. amazing. Yeah, because I'm 39 years old. I was born in 1983. And so this was, I mean, I want to say... 1990, 1991 that we were involved in these things. So it was something that now you see more of. But yeah, I'm really grateful that there was an emphasis on that when I was growing up, at least in my household. That's incredible. So how how did your parents bring both cultures into your household? Yeah. You know, I want a full transparency. My mom and my dad split up before I was even born. She was eight months pregnant with me. And that's, no, I mean, it's fine. Like I never knew any different. So it was what it was. But I think probably because of his absence, she knew that if she wanted me to have experiences of being exposed to black and brown folks, like that she was going to have to curate those. And also my mom just naturally is a person who craves diversity. I think she does. She doesn't 
um, like homogeneity in her life. And so she always had a lot of friends of different um, racial backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, ability types. And so I think regardless of my identity, I probably would have been exposed to people of a multitude of cultures, but because she recognized that, you know, she was raising a biracial child, she wanted to make sure that I had that exposure. So like my, I had a surrogate dad growing up who was my mom's boyfriend, who was like a father to me. In fact, he probably should not have said this, but he would tell me in front of his actual biological son that I was his favorite child. So, you know, like <laughs> probably should never have said that. Um, but he was a huge shaping influence in my life. Um, I was raised, I think, because of the town that I was from and the level of affluence, a lot of the black and brown influences that I had were people who had like a considerably more power and privilege and influence in a certain way, like socioeconomically than my, okay. you know, blue, blue collar uh, middle-class family. And so, right. yeah, I, I'm really grateful that I had a lot of exposure to people of color who were doing what they loved and were passionate about life and included and embraced me, even if I wasn't biologically connected to them. I think that is so beautiful and absolutely incredible. And I can tell that it has really impacted you and your life and now where you are, mm -hmm. which is an incredible place. Yeah, I, I, it is. And I feel uniquely empowered that like I get to be a person who lives my life as a, not only, you know, like a private person who is biracial and celebrates that, but I get to live it in a public way. And so I feel really like my identity, at least my racial identity, is the catalyst for being able to do the work that I do. So I'm like very proud of it and very grateful for it. And also looking back, I feel like my whole life has been preparation for this work. So it's uh, <laughs> pretty wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. incredible. So I do have to ask you a couple questions about your adolescence. Sure. Do, where you were raised, were you connected with other people who are of mixed heritage or were you a little isolated in that sense? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm going to answer your question, but just backing up a step. Sure. I think because I was an only child until I was 12, my little sister came along then, I was always really, I really thrived on being unique and being sort of special. And I never really craved belonging in a way that I think a lot of people do. I mean, I never wanted siblings. If my sister's hearing this, I'm so glad she's here. But you know, I didn't. I didn't. It wasn't. It wasn't on your wish list. Yeah, 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 it was not. It was not. So, but having said that, it makes my memory a little unreliable because I remember, you know, even I told you about being part of the interracial parents and children's group. And like, I love that. And I'm so grateful for that looking back. But at the time, I don't know that I ever would have said that belonging was something I wanted or craved. And I loved feeling like a little bit unique and like a standout. And so I always felt wanted in every space, black, white, or biracial that I went into. But I, you know, the younger me, especially as an adolescent, I think I somewhat preferred spaces where I felt like I got to really be prioritized and valued. And looking back, I can see that, you know, some of that specialness came with feelings of loneliness or possibly tokenism. But at the 
time, a younger me would have said like, and and it was true. I felt like I fit into every group. I had a ton of friends. I felt very popular and very wanted. And I wasn't looking to be like anyone else. And so even in mixed race, multiracial spaces, I was looking for like, well, where do I, where am I different? Okay. Well, I'm the only one growing up with just my mom or, you know, oh, I'm the only one who acts or what, you know, whatever it was, I always was looking to be my own person. And I think that's been a double-edged sword throughout my life. And I'm doing work now as an adult to like not still be (laughs) someone who always wants to stand out and do things her own way. But, um, but yeah, it's, that's yeah. balance. It comes in time. We're all working on that. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm sure there are people who the opposite is true for them. They always wanted to belong and that came with its own difficulties and challenges. Exactly. And yeah. Yes. So <laughs> Are you struggling to understand the complexities of your mixed race identity? Do you feel isolated by the lack of resources available to help you and others around you understand the nuances of being mixed race? Now is the time to take action and schedule your free consultation for my individual coaching course. In our time together, you will gain a deeper understanding of your unique mixed race identity and how to navigate the challenges you face. Here are just a few examples of what I have helped individuals just like you gain from my course. You will learn how to embrace and love every aspect of what makes you unique. You'll learn how to navigate complex social situations with confidence. And I have even helped many of my clients move out of areas where they didn't feel safe because they are mixed race. Don't wait any longer to gain the confidence and understanding that you need to live a more fulfilling life. Message me on Instagram at polished.velvet, on Facebook at Mixed Movement, or feel free to email me directly at coachrachelgo at gmail.com. And that's C-O-A-C-H-R-A-C-H-A-E-L-G-O at gmail.com. Let's make magic happen in your life. So tell me a little bit about your journey in journalism. Oh, yeah. So if anyone's listening to this and is aspiring to be a journalist, please don't use me as an example because I did it all <laughs> wrong. I did, like, um, but I, I've always loved to write and I started off really wanting to tell other people's stories. And so I did a lot of fiction writing work that was really cathartic and felt important. And then, you know, I just started to feel a little more called to tell some of my own experiences. And so I think I first wrote a children's book called I'm Mixed under the pseudonym Maggie Williams uh, about my experiences being biracial. And that was when I knew, okay, yeah, nonfiction seems to be making more of an impact. So I had that in the back of my mind. and, And then I started to do a podcast called the Transformational Storyteller Podcast. And that started to gained some traction and I was telling these stories that mattered. And I just randomly, a friend of mine invited me to a WHYY mixer. And um, around the same time, another friend told me that, you know, a Broad Street Review, which is a local Philadelphia-based arts-based publication, was looking for articles. And I just sort of, I like I pitched an article to Broad Street Review and I pitched a story idea and audio journalism idea to the editor over at WHYY at the time. And both 
pieces were accepted, but I didn't know what I was doing. And so I then had to furiously Google, like, okay, how do I how do I do this? And how do you record and audio and all that? And so I, I have made, an idea, but yes. I don't know how to make it happen. Right. And, and that, but that's yeah. where it starts, right? That's where you have to you got to start somewhere. Well, but they, this is where I think the power of allyship is so important. I've heard from a lot of people in the journalistic space about being met with walls and not feeling included and welcomed, especially people of underrepresented identities. But I was so fortunate that I, I don't think I ever pretended to be more advanced than I was. I was pretty – I admitted my areas of weakness or my learning opportunities – but I had great allies, people I didn't even know or, you know, barely had any interactions with would say, you know, I see the power in this idea and let's talk about how the execution might have missed the mark a little bit or let's, you know, maybe That's you could incredible. use this equipment or whatever. So, yeah, I felt like I had a lot of allies who at the time were strangers who have since become friends. So I – I. Yeah, I don't recommend that path to people. I think people should probably learn what they're doing in advance, but it's it's been a joy. And it's also been a joy that I've always been able to be a freelance independent journalist. And so, you know, that comes with its own challenges, but it's meant that I really get to work on the stories that I want to work on. And yes, that's exciting for me. That's incredible. Yeah. And I feel like when you know the path that you're supposed to be on, although you might not have the tools and you just go for it and then things start to fall into place, that's how you really know that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. So thank you for being completely transparent. <laughs> thank you. Well, and in, in that vein with transparency too, I, I mean, I don't know about you, Rachel, but my experience is, is that it is impossible to see the full path in advance. Like 100%. Yeah. So I think for anyone who's listening to this, who has a spark of an idea or even a destination in mind, I mean, what I really wanted to do was be a New York Times bestselling author and be in my pajamas from, you know, like all day long and never leave the house. I spend a lot of time in my pajamas still, but you know, I'm an introvert and my job yeah. is to interact with people and listen to their stories. And I love, love, love the work that I do, but it's not what I necessarily set out to do exactly. It's just in taking each step, a path yes. has opened up that has been something beyond my wildest imagination. And so, yeah, I I feel like there's vision is important, but then also to have a little bit of flexibility Absolutely. within that. Absolutely. I mean, even for me in the Mixed Movement podcast, it's going a direction that I didn't foresee, but I think I had that in the back of my mind as like a possibility. But the more you're right, the more you go down the path that you're on with with the best of intentions and you know bringing your your strengths to the table, that's when things start to open up and maybe go a different direction or simply expand into multiple directions, yeah. which is incredible. Oh, I love that you shared that. Can you say more about the direction that it's going? That I yeah, my goal was to create a sense of community for the biracial group. And in doing that, I I wasn't really sure how, but I am currently at this time working on representing 
biracial business owners. Mm -hmm. And I just had a wonderful interview with somebody who has created um, multicultural house goods, and they're stunning. Um, I'm speaking with somebody upcoming about their, they have a mixed race line with clothing and water bottles. And it just, instead of only speaking with individuals, I'm now expanding and supporting this community in a different way that I did not see coming. So yeah, it's not going to stop there. <laughs> I, I just love know that. It. Yes. yes. <laughs> no, I, I love that so much. Thanks for sharing that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I am very curious how you went from journalism to your absolutely incredible podcast, Demyst- Demystifying Diversity, which is I, I have so many emotions when I listen to your podcast. You speak so beautifully about really important topics that don't just pertain to being biracial, but of every single race. And you bring up really painful topics. I recently listened to your one, your, your episode about Latina America, and I cried. I I just have to say thank you for shedding light to this. But what got you started on this path? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for that. That just, my heart felt really full. Um, I told Rachel. you I was going to yeah. geek out. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just so proud to meet you. Oh, well, the feeling is mutual. And, you know, oh, I mean, I, I geek out uh, on a daily basis because people will sit down and they'll tell me their stories. And you yeah. were talking about how emotionally evocative the work is, but it's it's dependent on the voices of the people that will lend their stories to the conversation. And, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me is people will often say like, oh, who is the most impressive person you've interviewed, you know, or who's the most exciting or interesting person? And I think they often expect me to name some big name celebrity or senator or, you know, industry leader, but it's often the stories and all those people are amazing that I get to talk to. But, you know, a lot of their, they they interview for a living. They're telling their stories all the time, you know, but it's often the people who will say to me at the end of the interview, you know, thank you. Nobody's ever asked me my story before. Or, you know, just people who will write in and say, oh my gosh, it was so great to hear that person's voice. And, you know, they they were telling my story in some way. And so in terms of how we put that together, it really is, um, for anyone who hasn't listened to the Demystifying Diversity podcast, I interview somewhere between 60 and 120 people per season. And then based on the stories that they tell me, create a uh, topics, you know, centering yes. around a theme. And then each topic weaves in a variety of different voices. And, and in terms of how the inspiration for that is that I didn't want to do a project about diversity that wasn't in and of itself diverse. And I feel like, you know, there's an interconnectedness to oppressions. And I really saw that in the reporting that I got to do for other outlets, specifically, you know, telling stories of officers of color, let's say police officers and telling stories of Holocaust survivors and generational trauma and telling stories about larger bodied individuals and the the marginalization that they experienced, I really started to feel like, and I still feel like 
everybody has an entry point into how systemic oppression has harmed them in some way that is deeply personal, whether that's them specifically or a family member or a spouse or you know, co-worker, someone that they love and care about. And I think often when it comes to conversations of diversity, equity, and inclusion, people don't get involved because they don't see that there are stakes for them and their loved ones. And so this, the Demystifying Diversity podcast project felt really important because it felt like, okay, whatever a person's entry point is into the conversation, if we can help them feel deeply invested in and moved by something that hits close to home, then maybe they'll start to want to do something for other people where maybe the, you know, there are more degrees of separation between themselves and those people. And I feel like statistics are helpful in an intellectual way, but it's really about how do we move the information from the head to the heart. And so I hope yes. that's what the Demystifying Diversity podcast is. Yes, does. Yeah. absolutely. It, it You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you. You are nailing it. I am just really impressed by how many people you've interviewed and the fact that truthfully, I want to feature people who have lived life also. Mm -hmm. Yes. Who, who have stories to share that are real because ultimately that is where we form community within our group. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you are able to share so many different stories that all truthfully make us feel closely connected is is beautiful. And you've done it in such a fantastic and really important way. So thank you. Thank you so much. And it's not just me. I mean, I'm so grateful that I've had various business partners over the years. My current business partner, Zach James, is amazing and really does a lot behind the scenes. Our next season of the Demystifying Diversity podcast is sponsored by the Fox School of Business. They have a center for diversity, equity, um, and inclusion in the workplace. And they and so our next season will be featuring diversity issues that pertain to the workplace. And similarly to you, Rachel, I had I had no idea that it was going to lead in that direction, but yeah. I can see the real tangible benefits for helping people improve their professional lives and creating more inclusive workplaces. So yeah, it, it is exciting, this, this work, and it's scary, and it's overwhelming, and I feel humbled every day that I get to do yes, it. Yes, absolutely. So do you have plans to take on any other exciting projects that mm -hmm. you maybe want to talk about? Yes, I can say this is actually the first that I'll be sharing about this. And <gasps> <Yay>! uh, yeah, <laughs> but Malcolm Burnley, who's a Philadelphia-based biracial journalist, and I are starting a podcast called On Being Biracial. Um, we've got a website now, onbeingbiracial.com, and it's very similar to the work that I did with Demystifying Diversity and that we're interviewing about 40-ish people, maybe close to 50 people, and then weaving together stories of biracial experiences um, surrounded, like, sorry, weaving together <laughs> stories of biracial experiences centering on various themes having to do with things like identity and the one drop mm -hmm. rule and belonging. And, you know, because I think there are many threads that connect us, and yet we all have our own individual experiences. So we're telling nuanced stories of race and representation uh, amongst the biracial population, and I'm I'm excited for that. I think it's 
going to teach me a lot about other people and even more about myself. So I'm really excited for that. I am so excited (laughs) about that. Oh my goodness. That's going to be really important for a lot of people to listen to. I'm relatively new in this realm, if you will. But the more I go down this path, the more I really truly acknowledge that there are a lot of people out there who feel isolated and alone by being just because of our race. And, you know, I, it's global too. Yeah. Yeah. I've met several people in Germany and in the UK and Australia who feel those feelings of having to choose. And so it's, it's so important. And I'm really excited for you for this. I think it's going to be amazing. Yeah. Malcolm and I are really thrilled. And I would say as well that one of the things that's really was a painful awareness for me, but is recognizing that biracial Americans specifically, I can't speak to globally, but I'm sure um, there are global statistics out there and trends is that, you know, biracial Americans are the most at risk uh, racial population for things like suicidal ideation, depression, mental health, eating disorders, addiction issues. And, you know, we're not the highest number, you know, of people that have those things, but the percentage of biracial Americans who struggle with those issues is higher than monoracial individuals. And I don't yet know, I don't think there is a single cause for that, but I do think that lack of representation, feeling pressured to pick a side, the lack of non-binary spaces as pertains to race, uh, the various pressures that uh, people of color experience, uh, of all all people of color experience that, you know, we experience as biracial individuals, but then also sort of the strange place of like, well, maybe you don't quite fit in this place or that, but like, I mean, there's just, there's just a lot. It's very charged. Um, Yeah. I think there's a lot of shame that a lot of people hold for the privilege that they have and a feeling that experiences are not valid necessarily, but then also a lot of kind of like, yeah, it it just, when I spoke earlier about that feeling of wanting to be special, I, Malcolm and I talk about this all the time, but like that specialness that I experienced as a biracial person came with feelings of loneliness perhaps, or like a, a sense of added pressure And a lot of people who might not experience that feeling of specialness or might not have that same uh, biracial privilege that I held um, will feel, you know, a sense of subjugation. So there's just a, it's really multifaceted. And I think no person's experience is going to exactly mirror another person's experience, but there are some trends. And I think it's really important to have more biracial stories being told. So I'm really excited for the work that you do. Um, Oh, thank you. (laughs) Well, because it's in the telling of these stories that I think we see ourselves and we recognize and, and begin to restructure society so that it can be a more welcoming place for people of all identities. I, that is that is my goal. That is my hope and my dream. And I know that you share the same one and I really appreciate you saying that. And I recently, it still is taking me a minute to wrap my mind around what, that this is happening, but my oldest child is in the second grade and she looks, all of my children look a lot like me. 
but she's coming home with stories about people commenting about her skin color already and questioning and all of these scenarios that I thought my children were going to avoid because they have a mom and a dad that, you know, it's obvious, unlike my story, which I was raised all everybody in my family was white. And so I had a lot of questions about the way my skin feels and the way it looks and and my hair and all of these really odd questions for somebody. I'm 41 who grew up in the 80s and 90s. I had no idea how to navigate them. And now I'm having to guide and direct my children to do so, which that is why I'm doing this. It's not just for my children, but for the youth of America globally and how to navigate these situations. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is so important. And, you know, there's a few things that you brought up that really resonated with me. Your daughter's experiences, absolutely. But also, you know, this idea that anyone is prepared to have these conversations. Like I do it for a living and I still feel like when the conversations hit close to home and to my heart, sometimes I, I don't even know what to do or how to engage. And so I think just the reality that people are being asked to speak about things that they're not equipped to speak about, you know? And I was grateful that for the work that I'm doing on being biracial, we got to speak with a number of youth voices. I think I interviewed like 15 um, young people between the ages of five and 21. Yeah. And so that was really lovely. But, but, you know, what I've learned from those conversations is just how curious, how inquisitive, how, I don't know, deep of thinkers young people are, how important mm-hmm. identity can be to so many of them. and um, But also how sometimes it can feel like there's no place to turn to get answers for these questions or exactly. like there's a pressure to know something that I still don't know when I'm 39. I mean, you're still like, we're doing this work right. to figure it yeah, out, right? And exactly. how is a second grader supposed to know? They aren't. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, they, they, like, it's, it's just mind-blowing to me. So thank you for doing the work that you're doing. In, oh, in I cannot wait to listen. I'm Thanks. so excited. <laughs> me too. Excited <laughs> and overwhelmed. So we'll see, you know, right. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're we're in this together. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I have one question to ask you oh, sure. before we wrap it up for today. What is the legacy that you would like to leave behind? Mm, thank you so much for asking that. So I would say that whether it be personally or professionally, I – it's going to sound really cheesy, but I mean it with every fiber of my being. I want to leave behind a legacy of love. I feel like the work that I do, I always want to come to it from a space of love and healing. And I'm sure I fail every day, but I know that so many of the conversations that are being had today are conversations of division and hate and fragmentation. And I want I want to be a catalyst for love. So whether that's in my interpersonal relationships or, you know, through the podcast or through the other writing I do or the professional trainings that I do with the Demystifying Diversity team, it's like, how can I, how can I leave the world better and stretch people's capacity to love, including my own? So I think that's the legacy 
I want to leave behind. And I hope that others are also invested in leaving behind legacies of love. Thank you so much. That's absolutely beautiful. And I truly feel just from this brief moment that we've gotten to know each other that you are doing exactly what you are meant to be doing. It shows through in all in, in everything. Dearly, thank you so much for your time today and for your mission and everything that you're doing in this world. Thank oh, you. Thank you so much, Rachel. It is such an honor to be here. And thank you to everyone listening. I'm, I feel so full right now. So thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. We want to be here for you and we can't do what we're doing without your support. Please hit subscribe and to stay up to date, head on over to mixmovement.com. That's M-I-X-D-M-O-V-E-M-E-N-T.com to stay up to date with news and more. We are the Mixed Movement. See you next time.